to the book of Joshua, chapter, uh, we're looking at Joshua, chapter 2, the first seven verses. Uh, as we come to church today, I always like to uh, welcome you uh, to the presence of God. That's the whole reason for gathering. It's not just to hear somebody's voice or to be able to hear some great music and see uh, who all shows up and what's going on. It's actually not about that at all. It's about meeting with God. As the song we just sang talked about uh, being in God's holy presence. He bids us come, and today we'll come to the table as well. Uh, if you could bring up the word cloud, uh, I wanted to be able to highlight the fact that we, this is who we are. We are a Bible-believing church that is gospel-driven or gospel-centered. Uh, we always want the gospel to be communicated. That's why it's our mission statement, to communicate it by our words, by our deeds, and with our passions. We communicate it, ironically, first to the people in this room. The people listening uh, to the word of God being proclaimed. We need the gospel. This is not just for everybody else. It's for us. I need the gospel. So we communicate it to ourselves, which we are faithfully doing every Sunday. And then we communicate it to our neighbors where we live. Because Jesus said, as you go into the world, uh, that includes your neighbors and all that. And then to the ends of the earth. And you hear that through our missions campaign and even with the big banquet coming up. Uh, all of this stuff fits with who we are. And if you look there, we want to cherish worship. Uh, one of the things that I'm involved in my doctorate paper is about uh, the wow ministry or the wow moment. Many people don't even have a clue what I'm talking about, but it's when you meet with God. Wow! God already knows you. And uh, as I've been writing about it, as I've been thinking about it, there's a lot of children that have never encountered God. And as I've been doing that research, I'm realizing there's a lot of adults, even churchgoers, that have never encountered God. Even this week, I was amazed in speaking to somebody I've known a long time. There was tears on the other end of the phone because it was like, why doesn't God answer my prayer? It just seems like he's not listening. He's... Just listen to that. The frustration we have when God doesn't do what we want him to do. When he doesn't say the things that would make us feel comforted because we're kind of ticked that it's not already heaven yet. That's what this ser sermon series this month is all about. It's about the world. Uh, and and, and uh, it's really challenging as we look at it. I call it the Joshua effect. Uh, because back in those days, you had the people of God who had been on their own. They'd been out in the wilderness. Uh, for those of you that are pretty smart, uh, you might know how many years they were out in the wilderness. Oh, I was going to see if you would say 38. You know, because they took two years to get to Kadesh Barnea, and then they had 38 years of wandering after that, because it was in the total of the 40 years that God was going to take the one generation that remembered Egypt, and he was going to leave them behind or let them go on to glory, and he was going to take the new generation in. And that's where we're picking up uh, when they go on into the promised land. And it changes the metaphor, as I told you last week. The, 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 uh, the Old Testament from, from the book of Exodus all the way to the Jordan River is a picture of salvation. We were enslaved with sin. We couldn't do anything about it. And we cry out for deliverance. And then God raises up one, and that was particularly Moses. And in chapter uh, 1 and 2 of Moses, you see, uh, of, of Exodus, you actually see Moses, a little baby who was born. And all the people around him that were boys were put to death. Do you see the parallels? 
You know, when Jesus finally came into the world in the fullness of time, the little babies around him in Bethlehem were all put to death too. But he was another deliverer, one who really did deliver, not just from a taskmaster, but from God himself. Because if you understand my trick question that I often ask people, who are we saved from? We're not saved from sin because we all know we're still sinners. But we're saved from God's wrath upon our sin. And that's why there's no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Now, in this particular sermon series that I'm preaching, I'm using the illustration of, of Jericho being the world. And so I want us to reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, infallible word. We're going to be looking at the first seven verses of Joshua chapter 2. It is found in your pew Bibles on page 227. Uh, this is the first of the historical books. The first five were written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And now we're entering into an, a different era. Moses is no longer on the scene. And as I said, the, the mood shifts from being about salvation from their bondage of sin. Now you are recognizing the sanctifica sanctification, the Christian life. And he basically says, if you're a Christian, how, how many cities of sin do you need to leave in your life? How many pet wrongdoings can you say, oh yeah, I can hang on to those? How many of you want to be so bold as to say a hundred? Yeah, I can have my hundred favorite sins because God's grace is great. If you look at, at the illustration here, God tells Joshua, don't be afraid. And in fact, if you go to Joshua 1.8, it's really powerful. You know, this book of the law shouldn't depart out of your mouth, but you should meditate in it day and night. And then you'll be able to do this. If you don't stay in the word of God, you're going you're gonna to stumble and fall. And that's why the theme at the beginning, be strong and be courageous. Because the Christian life is not going to be easy. Let's read God's word. Inerrant, infallible, inspired in its originals. Uh, this is where the historical account picks up in chapter 2. And Joshua, who is the son of Nun, that's not N-O-N-E, that's the guy's name was Nun. So Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And when they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, they lodged there. Verse 2, And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to, to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house. For they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said to the king's people, True, the men had came to me, but I did not know where they went, or I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. Verse 7. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Now, I just want to give you a quick little overview, and then I want to read a little bit more of chapter 2 so you can hear and understand the rest of the story. There's some interesting things going on in this text. There is some authority for sure. There is some accountability that is being uh, wielded. In other words, this is not just a lame situation.
lot of moving pieces and parts. There is an approval process. There, are, there is an agenda that's being uh, advanced. Uh, and there are also sides that are being taken. I want to be able to weave all this together for you in just a moment. But it is fascinating why God includes this extra little detail. This extra little detail has to do with, with a, a prostitute. If you were the author of the text, I mean, this is the Holy Bible. Why are we talking about a girl of ill repute? In the priceless movie that we watched this Friday in our movie, it was a little bit hard to watch because we saw so many women that were involved in this, uh, they call it sex trafficking. They're involved mostly because of involuntary people forcing them. But in this particular case, Rahab is involved in it willingly. She's actually obviously doing pretty good business. Even the king knows about her. Now, I want to read a little bit more of the story so that you can see a little bit more about Rahab than just leaving her here in that room where she's uh, entertaining two strangers from out of town in her house. And she's hiding them upstairs in, on the uh, roof of her, uh, of, her wall, uh, of her apartment that's along the wall of Jericho. In verse 8, it said, before, before the men laid down, she came up to them on the roof. And this is what Rahab said to the men of Israel. I know that the Lord, that is Yahweh, has given you the land, and that the fear of you, that is the people of God, has fallen upon us, that is the people of Jericho. And all the inhabitants of this Canaan land melt away before you, or before you all. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to those two kings of the Amorites who were, who were on the other side of the Jordan to Sihon and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no more spirit left in any man to fight it because of you. For the Lord your God, for Yahweh is, for he is God. He is God in the heavens above and on this earth below. Verse 12. Now, now then, you guys, swear to me by the name of your Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord, that is when Yahweh our God, gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And that's implying plural. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills over there, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards, you may go on your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath, our oath of, our, of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you will let us down, and you shall gather 
And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. In verse 19, then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in this house, his blood shall be on us, on our head. Verse 20, but if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. In other words, it's off if you tell other people. And she said, according to your word, so shall it be. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way. They found nothing. Then the two men returned because the other ones had come back into the city. They came down from the hills and, the, and they passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them, especially what had happened in Jericho. Verse 24. And they said to Joshua, truly... Yahweh, the Lord, has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Lord Jesus, I do pray that you'll bless the preaching of the word as you've blessed already the reading of it. I pray that we might find strength by looking at the word of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The title of last week's sermon was about, uh, it was linked to Achan. And Achan was asking the question, is God enough? When he got to Jericho, he saw some things that he hadn't seen before. And he was kind of ticked because he didn't, his God didn't provide them. And so he said, it's not enough. I'm going to help myself. And you know the rest of the story. Today we meet another person who I believe is a part of the covenant community as well. And even though we're introduced to her as a harlot... I'm going to tell you that there's other scriptures and other preachers who have introduced her a little differently from the way she was to the way she is. And it's quite interesting to see even in that, we don't refer to Rahab the harlot anymore. We refer to her as Rahab, the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. It's a different way of looking at the same person because of faith. You're going to see how that all unfolds in this particular thing. But when you're caught between a rock and a hard place like this lady is, it's really interesting to see what you'll do. When everything seems to be a problem, you're, what you see, what you know doesn't match up with the options that are in front of you. What are you going to do? And the question that I think she says, is God going to see me through this or not? Is that God that I know about, that I've heard about, is that God on my side or not? Or is better said from Joshua chapter 5, are we on his side or not? Now, when you look at this particular text, you're going to find that, as I said, uh, there are a lot of images about the world that we see here. And I want to highlight the text from, uh, I think I have it in, in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, it is a, a, a potent text that tells us about the world, and, uh, and I think I have it on the back of the fourth point, uh, where, where 
it's not particularly there, but I've been highlighting these things, that we ought not to love the world or the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And that's one of the concerns that we end up finding. I'll read this. For all, verse 16 of 1 John chapter 2. For all that is in this world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not from God the Father, but it is generated from this world. But this world is passing away. And the desires that we experience while we're in this world are passing away. It's kind of interesting, even in my own experience. I'm not as young as I used to be. You know, there used to be a time where I want to ride a roller coaster two or three times. Now I'm pretty pleased if I can get through one. Why the difference? When you look at your own life, there's things that used to be you would die for. You would want to do them, and then things change. When you understand that the Bible says that that's what happens in this world. The things that you desire, the things that you crave, the things that you're pushing for, they're going to seem dim as time progresses. Or as the hymn writer put it, in light of his glory and grace. So turn your eyes upon Jesus, and that's where you'll focus. Then you won't see the diminishing returns. You won't say, oh, I'm tired of Jesus now. <laughs> no, if you ever got to that point, you don't know the Jesus that's in Scripture. You don't know the Jesus that went to the cross. You don't know the Jesus that rose from the dead. You don't know the Jesus that ascended into heaven and that has gone to prepare a place for you. If you say that you can get tired of Jesus, you just don't know Jesus. Now, in this particular uh, text, I wanted to, to walk you through and ask you the question, when, when you run into, when the Jericho effect, when it hits you, you know, we're supposed to be in this cocoon of the covenant community. The picture there where the people had walked 40 years, they had been out there and they've kind of been oblivious to the world. There's been a couple of times where they got to look at the world a little bit. At Kadesh Barnea, they got to deal with the world a little bit when they had to deal with the king of Og and the king of Sihon. I mean, of course, when, when you realize that there was, they were living in the world still, but they were quite protected. It's almost like they were in their Christian bubble. And now they're entering into this promised land and God is telling them it's not going to be the same as the way it was. Now you're going to have to deal with these things in the Christian life. These big strongholds of the world. Things that impress you. Things that seem to make you covet. Things that, that look like your life would be so much easier and so much better and so much more luxurious and so much, uh, so much more satisfying. Rahab has been living in, in Jericho. She knows a lot about Jericho. In fact, if you want to know the truth, she knows more about Jericho and she knows more about the men of Jericho than, than we ever will. She knows what makes them tick. She knows what was happening. And that's why when I look at this particular passage, I want to challenge us to be careful because we would, we would be prone to be like Rahab apart from God's intervention. Rahab is there. And the, and the pressures, uh, the three points of the sermon that come to you is the pressure to conform, the propaganda to consume, and the priorities, uh, the priorities that, are, that are actually uh, being put before you in order to claim. 
When you realize what Rahab was going through as she lived in that plush apartment way at the top towards the wall. In fact, the picture that we were showing you on the front of the bulletin and some of the other places is that picture of the scarlet cord coming out of her house. And when you think about that for a moment, she had this great location. She had a view. You know, she might have even been able to see the, the Jordan River if, if it was elevated enough because they were in the, in the valley there uh, in the basin and they were in an oasis community because that's where there's some water was and with that water uh, in that low, low-lying area, they had beautiful temperatures and it was a great place to live. Jericho was a picture of one of the earliest civilizations that have been around. And so Rahab understood it all. The world was hers. She seemed to have a life that was pretty prosperous. But in this particular case, when God's will, involved, when it confronts you where you are, all of a sudden, now you've got this dilemma, as I said, between a rock and a hard place. And the pressures to conform come to you. We've been living in 2021, and uh, I believe that in my 50-plus years of life, I've never felt the pressure like I felt now. That whatever the governor, the governor or whatever the, the, the president or whatever some of these officials that are in positions of cabinets, whatever they say, you must obey. It's hard to imagine. Especially when we know, many of us can quote, that, that there were people who died so that we would have the freedoms to be able to, to meet, to assemble, to be able to speak, to be able to go to church. To be able to, to stand on what the Bible says. And what you're finding, those privileges, those inalienable rights that are given not by men or by governments, but from God, uh, those rights are being impugned. They are actually being stripped away. They're being canceled. Many of them are using executive power. Many of them are pushing different agendas, but the pressure to, conf uh, to conform was there in that day, just like the pressure for us to conform is today. And when I look about it, authority was being wielded that came from the top. If you look at Rahab's life, who was the one that ended up coming to Rahab and saying, you better, you better respond. You better be in line. Did you notice who was the one who authorized this? It was the king. The top guy in the whole governmental system uh, was actually paying attention to Rahab. It just blows me away. The Secret Service, or if you want to say the FBI, or whatever they called their, their, uh, their intelligence arm, they knew, they were figuring out, oh, there was somebody that entered into the gate, and they even tracked them up to uh, looking like they were, maybe they just looked like men that, that were of ill repute. Why else would you go to the harlot's house? But they were noticed going to the harlot's house. And the word got sent up to the king. It, he ended up having his Camp David. And you can hear some of the advisors sitting around the table are saying, Hey, Mr. King, Mr. King, uh, there's something going on. Now, why do you think the king was stirred up anyway? Do you think the king was just enjoying a life of luxury? No, if you understand the story, and, and Rahab tells us a little bit, which is why I read the rest of chapter 2, is that you understand that everybody knows about the 2 million people that are making their journey up uh, on the other side of the Dead Sea, past Mount Nebo. They're coming up to the Jordan area. And, and everybody in the, in the land of Canaan knows. Everybody knows. I could start singing that song. Everybody knows. 
The king knew. The king was on heightened alert. The king was raging. And he was imagining all these things about how bad it was going to be and how strong they needed to be and all the things that they were going to do to prepare so that they could, having done all, to stand against those people of God. The king has his antenna up. And the king is paying attention. And when they finally figure out that these two spies are probably uh, coming from, from the enemy camp, all of a sudden you can see, move, 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 move. They didn't just say, well, we'll get to it later. They quickly came over to Rahab's house. They quickly came and challenged her. But the authority came from the top. The, the, the world is, is not at peace when God's agenda is being advanced. They're not comfortable with it. They're not happy with it because it means that their kingdom, their earthly realm is going to be messed up. They're no longer going to be living in and feeling like their God. And so in order to, in, in, to stop that, uh, the authority is being wielded. And then in particular, I found this interesting, is the accountability aspect was being applied. I mean, this wasn't just that the king was involved and paying attention, but the king actually sent military guys, if you want to call them SWAT team or if you want to call them special forces, and I'm not so sure they knocked on the door. Hey, Rahab, where are those guys? We know they were here. Where are they? Now, of course, they've got eyes everywhere. You know, they've got their cameras. They technically didn't have cameras. But they had all the people who would squeal on them and tell you everything that everybody knows. Who was going into Rahab's house? They probably had a madam list or something like that. So they could blackmail anybody that went in there. That is, if they even thought that prostitution was a bad thing. Maybe they had a Supreme Court that had already ruled it's just fine. I don't know. But when you look about how, this, how uh, the situation was working, the military was at her door. These guys who were armed, they were able to just to end her life if they wanted. And they were pressuring her. You can see the pressure to conform. Fall in line. Do what you're told. Just fit. Fit in with the flow. That was what Rahab had to confront as God is working on her soul. She had to deal with the pressure from the top down in Jericho. The world was pressuring her to be like everybody else in the world. Just conform. Did you notice that there's a scripture verse in Romans 12? Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye, help me out, transformed by the renewing of your mind. I mean, it's really interesting just to watch what was going on. The, the, uh, the second point I want to draw you is the propaganda to consume. Uh, the agendas were being pushed. As, as the king was, was coming down pretty heavy, sending his military people in, you could see that Rahab was being coerced in order to say, hey, Rahab, you're one of us. Hey, Rahab, they're the bad guys, we're the good guys. Rahab, you're one of the good guys. You need to help us. Rahab, you have to help us. And if you look at the propaganda, they were identifying and, and, and uh, labeling the players. They're bad, we're good. You know, are, are, in a sense, today you have that same kind of thing going on where people are being labeled all the time. If you're not a part of our group, then you're, then you're outside of our group. You're being alienated. And today with the wokeisms and the things like that, they've even created new categories to be able to put people in. Oftentimes, they're new categories to make sure they put Christians out. 
diversity, even the one that was hired to work in our local Cape District just down the road, uh, they hired a person to come into the schools this week that is going to try to enforce these new secular woke values. And as a pastor, I'm thinking, I want equity too. Give me equal time at least. Because I think that what's going on is a new religion is being advanced in the secular world. It's called humanism. Okay, and, and they're, they're not like us with covenant theology because with covenant theology, our equation of salvation will never change. Jesus plus nothing is salvation. It's pretty simple. But when you're in the secular world, they don't have covenant theology and they change and they morph it. And sometimes you're going to have to, if you will just uh, treat everybody fair, if you will just make sure that everybody gets paid the same amount, if you will just not use this word or that word. I mean, we already know if you say N-word, everybody knows. If you say the F-word, everybody knows. But we're not allowed to say some of those things. And we self-govern. Because if you would dare speak up, you would not be able to be self-governed anymore. You would be punished. The propaganda machine is already in place. And that determination, the agenda that they have is to, is to have an outcome where they win. And we don't. They were convinced, if you were with the king, our walls are strong, our culture is superior to those uncivilized people out there. They're like sheep and they smell like a two. You can just see the people of Jericho thinking superior to the people of Israel. It's really quite interesting to watch how they said, we're going to start searching for those who are searching out the land. And, and when they wanted to search them out, it wasn't to be able to find them and do nice things. It was to destroy them. The third point that you see here is the priorities that are, that are being presented in order for Rahab to claim. Rahab, you need to identify with us right now. We will accept you if you'll submit. You'll be one of us. You'll be an insider. Thanks for your help. If you'll just do what we want you to do, and then we will leave you alone. Because if you think about it, what was Rahab known for in that city? She was a businesswoman. As I said, she might even be one of the leading uh, wage earners. The Chamber of Commerce might have even given her some kind of an award. But she, she knew everybody around there. Jericho is not that big of a city. It's not like New York. It's not like Philadelphia. If you go there now and you walk around it, you can do that in a half a day. It's pretty easy to get around Jericho. Everybody knew about it. But when you realize that the pressure here... Even her business model was going to be okayed. As long as you're with us, you can do anything you want to do. I just think about that and say, wow, the culture loses its morality when we don't even call sin, sin anymore. And in our culture, we are not very far away. What sexual sins are off limits? It's a trick question. There are some that are off limits. Don't you know? It boils down to this. If the woman doesn't want it, it has to do with consent. Because if you can prove that, that somebody wants it, then you can do anything you want these days. Now, of course, that's not true with God. If you go to Hebrews chapter 13, you're going to see that the, the only place that that is safe is in the marriage and there's some beautiful things that you can go through, but the scripture was telling us that pornography and porneia and, and this, and this uh, search for having multiple people, the polygamy, all of those things were out there. There's nothing new under the sun. 
That's why he ends up telling us that if you're going to be a leader in the church, guess what you're supposed to be? The husband of one wife. It's really interesting. There's nothing new under the sun, but it's, it's now the Christianizing of our culture has been, has been lost. And now it's the unchristianizing of our culture. This is a bad kind of situation. Now, as far as the application before we come to the Lord's table, I want to be able to look at, at Rahab as a covenant person. She's already had to deal with the world. She's felt the pressure. She's felt their, uh, their, their maneuvering. They, they, she's even felt, as, I, as I've argued, the prop, she's learned the propaganda and she's understood what the priorities should be. But when you understand her a little bit more, she's different. She didn't conform to the world. And, and even though she, I mean, she was a topic in, Sunday, in, in uh, seventh grade, I had a teacher. And uh, this was one of the first times I remember doing battle with a Bible teacher. I'm a little snotty-nosed seventh grader. And my teacher is talking about Rahab, and he put her down. He shamed her. He said, Rahab, she was a liar. She was a deceiver. And I'm just this little kid. I'm a preacher's kid. And uh, I didn't like fighting back against the Bible teacher. But I was like, and I, I used the, the, the Mr. And Mr. It's, his last name starts with a W. I, I raised my hand and I said, that's not, that's not right. I said, Rahab's not supposed to be condemned. And I said, you know why? Because God tells us that she's to be praised. Now, it wasn't praising her for her prostitution. It was praising her for her faith. And I ended up explaining to her that you need to turn to the New Testament book of, of Hebrews. So let's do that right now. It's one of the texts that I had presented for you in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 to 31. You can see in the hall of faith, you, you find that Rahab's name is mentioned. In verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Now, is that relate to, to Rahab at all? Absolutely. Where was her house? It was part of the wall. I mean, it's pretty interesting to realize that, that even the author of Hebrews, which I think was the Apostle Paul, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down, everything that is except where Rahab lived, and they had, after they had been encircled for seven days, which now is talking about the people of God, the covenant community, obeyed God, they did what God told them, and, it, and then by faith you see these walls come, come tumbling down. But the next verse, it specifies Rahab by name. By faith, Rahab the prostitute. Yes, that one who did not have a good before Christ moment. You know, she did not have a pure life. She didn't grow up in church. She didn't do the right things. She didn't have the right vocabulary. And she didn't hang with the right crowd. By faith, that gal Rahab did not perish. That's interesting. Rahab was preserved. She didn't die with the rest of the world. I mean, with the rest of Jericho. She didn't perish with the rest. With all the rest who were disobedient, the other ones who didn't heed God, who didn't do the things that the, the Almighty God had set up. And, and the reason why she didn't perish is because the rest of the verse, because she did something that my Bible teacher condemned. She gave a friendly welcome to the spies. And what was implied in this is that Rahab took care of these people. Rahab saw them differently than the rest of Jericho. When the people of God sent spokespeople, or when they, they sent out the scouts, when they sent out the 
that were coming with the good news. Rahab saw them and said, hey, you've, you've got something that I want. You have a relationship with that God who's alive. You know the one. You were there. You got to see the water part. You got to see, you, you got to eat the manna. Now, she didn't know all those details. But she's looking at him saying, you've tasted, you've seen, you've walked, you've benefited from a relationship with that Yahweh. And there she is. God has opened her eyes of faith to be able to apprehend it. Nobody else in Jericho could see it. Nobody else. We're not even sure if Rahab's mom and dad and her sisters and brothers and their relatives had any clue. What we do know is that Rahab probably went way out of her way to go and get them into her house. She might have, I think she would have done bribing. She would have done an awful lot. But I'm not sure she was free to tell them exactly what the deal was either. Because part of the, part of the deal was that you're not supposed to reveal this. It's not supposed to get out. People are not supposed to know that just because we made a deal with you, because you are in this room with the scarlet cord hanging out, just because you're here, you're going to be saved. I don't know if anybody else knew. Not even the mom and dad. Whew. Do you think all of Rahab's relatives were there? We really don't know. But this is where the beauty comes into this message and it leads us to the table today is that the hope that was offered was that the world couldn't offer hope. They were trusting in their walls. They were trusting in their military. They were trusting in their agenda. They were trusting in their own prestige. They were working out their own thoughts and plans, and they were very able. I mean, I can't believe how quick they were to get to Rahab's house. It's almost like they can tell whether you got a shot or not, or whether you've paid your taxes or not, or whether you actually voted for that person or not. They knew all these things. The, the government and the state and the world, they were in the know, and the people of God were kind of like, well, well, well. And Rahab sets for us, the, the Jericho effect on Rahab was that she pushed it away. She didn't desire to have everything that Jericho had because she saw that the world was passing away. She saw the emptiness of having all your wealth and all your riches and all your privilege. You know, last week I talked about Achan wanted to having gold and wanting to have the nice clothes. And Rahab, she's saying, I don't care about the clothes. I don't care about the money. I don't care about my apartment on the wall. I care about life. I care about a community. It's really quite interesting what God did in Rahab's heart. And when you hear how she testifies to these two guys from the covenant community, she says, hey, the fame about that God has spread around. We know, we know there's a God. And we know that those two kings that were down south, we know that they're dead, there's destruction. We know about that. And we even know about the, e the Egyptian army. I mean, because my goodness, the Egyptians used to do battle with when they would come through that, that area. They knew that there was a God, and that God was with the covenant people, not with them. As I come to the table today, you're living in this world too. There's lots of pressure for you to conform. 
Many of you are told, be careful what you say. You're even being told not to even say things to your children. In this state of Delaware, you're, as parents and grandparents, you're not even free to tell your son or your grandson, depending how you're related to them, you're not be able to free to tell them that they shouldn't change their sex from male to female. You're not allowed to do that. If you do it, you could be charged with child abuse. You see, this is what's going on in the culture today. The pressure of the world. And they think that they have a better salvation than we ever had to offer because they think that you'll be able to live a little longer. You'll be able to, to survive COVID. At least you won't be put on a ventilator. They're telling you that your kids will be global citizens and they'll be able to fit into this global world. And they're also being told that the government will take care of their health care and the government will take care of, of, of their unemployment and the government will take care of their employment if they want to work. The government will do everything. Do you see what religion they're pushing? They're pushing there's no need for God. There's no need to get on your knees and pray. There's no need to, to repent of your sins. There's no need to do 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name, who are called Christians, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Oh, there's no need for you to do that. Because if you do that, you're a loon, you're a kook, you're crazy. Just keep that to yourself. Right now, if you have those ideas, quarantine in your own house. Don't tell anybody else. Do you see that's the way that things are going? Because the one world system doesn't have room for anybody who would even want to have a traditional family where you have a husband and a wife and you have children that will respect their parents. I mean, it's pretty, pretty amazing, the world that we live in. The table is before us because I want to offer this to you as a minister of Jesus Christ. Yes, the world looks like it's going to triumph. The world looks like its walls are pretty thick. The people that were inside of Jericho, they really, they, their hearts melted. They didn't want to go and fight because they heard there, there might be a God out there. But they were still trusting in their own strengths. Are you one of those people? Are you like the world? That you found your niche? You found your strength? You found your giftedness that you think that you can stand on what you've done? I want you to know, Rahab risked it all because she couldn't keep anything that was going to disappear anyway. And she threw all of her existence on the promise that she would be spared. She knew she wasn't worthy. She knew that she hadn't done anything that was going to praise her in front of Joshua, in front of Jesus. Oh, I mean, can you imagine this harlot coming up in front of Joshua? I demand that I get this and this and this. No. Nothing in our hands we bring. If we bring our record of sin, our record of self-dependence and reliance, nothing in our hands we bring. The deal that God made in salvation is really quite beautiful. I love the fact that the, school, the, car, the, the cord was scarlet. So it gives you that illustration of triggering the thought of blood. You see, the only way that we're going to be saved is not because of what we've done, because everything we've done deserves 
God's wrath and curse. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none of you that are sitting in this room right now that can say, oh, I helped God, I did a good job, I did this, I fed the poor, I, I took all the food baskets, I'm looking at the food basket lady, uh, we look around, I, I visited all the people who are sick, I give them meals, or you know, whatever the thing that you think you're doing so great. Nothing in your hand you bring. The reason we do good works is not to be saved, it is because we are saved. When Rahab ended up marrying and having a legitimate traditional family, you can read about that in Matthew chapter 1. She got married, and one of her children ended up being the great-grandfather of King David. And that started the Davidic line, the kingly, the kingly crown that would one day be placed on David's son, the greatest son, which is Jesus Christ. You see, the scarlet cord was hanging there as a reminder of the promise. When Jesus went to the cross, things over here this week, when Jesus went to the cross, the blood stains reminded us of the price that he paid. It wasn't free. You didn't get to go to heaven. You didn't get that salvation just because of nothing. No, the, the deal for salvation, the salvation equation is Jesus paid it all, period. That's why I'm reformed. God is big in salvation, and man isn't. When we come to the table today, you come not because you're good enough. It's not because you've asked for repentance enough. It's not because you put enough money in the offering boxes. I hope you did do some of that. It's not because of any of those things you come to the table. It's because you're in, not Rahab's house, but you're in the covenant community. Jesus saw fit to draw you in, to open your eyes of faith. And when Rahab believed, she was already in. When we believe, we're already in. It's a beautiful place to be. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Not COVID, not any king, not any government, not anything can separate us from our Savior. We got the table in front of us. If the elders would come, I want to pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I do pray that as we gather together in this place, that we would realize... Let's all stand and worship together.